Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. We're going to do something a little bit different today. Over this past weekend, I hosted my summit, and you are going to hear much more about it over the next several weeks. But at the end of the summit on Saturday, I was part of a wonderful and very exciting panel. We did a very late night, two hour panel presentation here in our same studios, which was designed to be timed to air internationally, it was live streamed. At the same time, the Chinese Communist Party was having their meeting in which they're apparently going to be, eventually when it ends, going to be kind of coronating their current president, Xi Jinping, as dictator for life. So it was a very serious substantive panel about China, how China treats its people, what the Chinese agenda is for the future. I was honored to be part of that. So for today's show, we're going to play the second hour of that two-hour panel. And that's today's show. And I'll be back tomorrow on America Can We Talk. On America Can We Talk, I talk about election integrity, border security, health care freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. sending the message that we in America want to stand up for freedom, want to stand up for the uh, urging people to understand how seriously the future of freedom in America is under threat, under threat from many uh, challenges, many, uh, including very straightforward things, uh, such as the uh, Chinese Communist Party's in infiltration of America's government. We talk about many other topics, basically all around the idea that there are many attacks on America's freedom, our failure to enforce our border, our weakness within America and standing up against the infiltration of Chinese uh, communism, the growth of cultural Marxism in America, the uh, away at freedom of speech and all sorts of other freedoms promised in America. So the summit today was a lot like my show, America Can We Talk. It's all about the idea of standing up and speaking up for America and trying to help more Americans understand the unique and extraordinary greatness of our country. So the summit was all about that. And tonight's episode, this, this uh, podcast tonight or this program tonight, just an, a great opportunity for people to connect dots more and more about how the freedoms we are we are watching fall away uh, really are going to change the lives of our children and grandchildren unless we stand up now. Wonderful. And I understand you might have a video. We do have a video. I don't know who's... Uh, I'm, am I to cue that? We have a video about my show, I believe. If we can cue the video. you put on a program talking about this concept, the othering. Mm. And I'm telling you, it was brilliant. Love our Thursday shows because we have really a time to have a little more in-depth conversation with one person, talk a whole lot about issues facing America. And we also have an in-studio audience. I'm grateful to my friends and people who listen to the show. Yeah, thank you for coming. <laughs> but there was a purging, not openly saying, I want strong patriots out. It was a subtle, sinister yes. replacement yes. of people who are patriots and understood the Constitution to people ideologically leftist. And they, under and they understood that their oath was to the Constitution and not to any individuals. 
Uh, and, and what we see is that those individuals were placed, replaced by people that were more so kowtowing to a political ideology, and that's where we find ourselves today. Well, I mentioned at the start of the show today, we have a great, great guest on the show today. Dr. Simone Gold happened to be in the great state of Texas. Why did you start this whole thing, America's Frontline Doctors? Very specifically because working in the emergency department, I was being told by my medical director that I could not prescribe hydroxychloroquine and zinc for patients who needed it. And I was told by the governor, in my case, Governor Newsom, that if I were to prescribe hydroxychloroquine for a COVID patient, I could be found, um, I could be reprimanded for unprofessional conduct, which is a direct threat on my license. When you wrapped up the 2020 election, you were not concerned at all about whether electronic voting machines had a problem. That had the outcome of four leftists essentially winning in a 70% Republican district. So, and then I think maybe Sean brought the information to you. So that piqued your interest. Well, when I pulled the results at 7 p.m. that night, I got sick to my stomach. So you have this data, and then you've got to decide, you've got to go back because you, you all, your organization did not put the cameras in place. Okay, that is a great story, and it ties in so well, uh, Dr. McCullough, to what you were saying just a little while ago. It's true. There's a group think in medicine, particularly academic medicine, when there's uncertainty, where they, in a sense, want to be intellectually supported by one another. Please come back every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. Can you America, can we talk truth about America? Can you And to continue this conversation, crashing the Chinese Communist Party Congress concurrently with its opening in Beijing at this hour. We are, of course, not entirely clear what will come of this Congress. We are led to believe that it will be essentially a scripted program in which the Chinese communists lie shamelessly about what they have done to their people, what they are inclined to do to anybody else they can get their hands on, and most especially, what it will mean for the rest of the world if they realize what Xi Jinping has called the China dream, namely of global domination. What we are also a little unclear about is whether the coronation that Xi has planned that will confer upon him not just a third term, but effectively a dictatorship of China for life, whether that will eventuate in the party plenum that follows on to the party Congress is, uh, I think, a reasonable bet, but it's not a certitude. But we are operating on the premise that Xi will remain in the picture, that he will remain driving China in a direction that will be dangerous for the rest of us and possibly fatal uh, for untold numbers of people, both in China, possibly, and certainly elsewhere. We're going to continue the conversation that we began an hour ago with several additional experts on various aspects of the challenge that we're facing from the Chinese Communist Party, from totalitarianism more generally, 
because the Chinese are collaborating with globalists and Islamists and others who have at least a shared immediate objective, namely the elimination of the one real obstacle to their ambitions being fulfilled, namely the United States of America. And we're going to visit about what might come of the realization, if they could, of that, out, that goal, but um, how they'd sort it out between themselves, because their end states are somewhat different. The Islamists, on the one hand, want a caliphate. Globalists want, well, it's a little unclear. It sounds more and more like it's the, uh, the Chinese Communist Party solution, but uh, presumably with them running things rather than the CCP. But we'll get into all of that. But we're going to begin by talking a bit about something that we touched on in the last block, namely the extent to which the Chinese Communist Party, by unleashing a biological warfare attack on our country, has ushered in not only the horrific damage that it has done to our people, loss of some million of them by some estimates, but our economy, but our society, but our republic and freedoms as well. With a woman who has been in literally the front lines of this fight ever since that virus was unleashed and has been warning with great courage and great clarity about what the Chinese have called the China model that has been insinuated in lieu of the pandemic response that Sam Fattis spoke of earlier, the plan to do early treatment with available therapies to reduce the damage and ensure that what could be described as a bad flu was mitigated, instead in favor of a system that has proven to be disastrous. Disastrous for the Chinese, by the way, but also for the rest of us. That woman is Dr. Simone Gold. She is both a medical doctor and an attorney. She has been involved in uh, founding and generating an immense number of doctors to come together under the banner of America's frontline doctors. She's also the founder and CEO of goldcare.com. She might be persuaded to say a word about it, I suspect. <laughs> Simone Gold, we are delighted to have you with us. Thank you for being here and for all that you've done to try to help us get out from under the Chinese model. Tell yes. us a bit about it and what's behind it and how we're doing. Thank you. Um, I'm delighted to be here because I don't usually speak on this aspect of the issue. You know, one of the things that leftists do, right, is they change language. So we saw at the beginning that this was properly called the Wuhan virus. And quickly that was said to the people that that was a racist way to call something. So I want to just remind people that this is traditionally how doctors have typically referred to illnesses. There's German measles, there's St. Louis encephalitis, there's Rocky Mounted Spotted Fever, there's the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome. This was nothing racist to identify the location, uh, the name of, the, of an epidemic or pandemic from the location from which it arose. But China didn't like it, so we had to change the name, and we changed it to a coronavirus. But that was very confusing for doctors because there's seven different coronaviruses. Sometimes on a medical chart, I would write coronavirus when it's really essentially the common cold. 
So after about a month, that one had to go away because it was just too confusing. And that's how we got led to SARS-2. Another misnomer is they called it a novel virus. That was very peculiar. I've never understood that because SARS-2 is 78% identical to SARS-1. And when you look back in the literature, you could see that SARS-1 in the journal Virology, which of course Dr. Fauci knew about, chloroquine was a potent inhibitor of SARS-1. But they kept kind of pretending that this was a brand new novel thing. The reason the president and many other people were talking about hydroxychloroquine was because 15 years earlier it had worked very effectively in SARS-1. So they're always kind of playing this game with the names and the words and the changing. We really kind of can't forget about it. And that's why I just knew something was a little bit up. China is uh, very, very culpable in this mess. And we all remember back when uh, a reporter finally commented that, or was it, does it have Gates? I forgot who first said it, that the, there was a Wuhan Institute of Virology that was very close to the bat market and people called him a conspiracy theorist. And you know, if you just put into any internet search engine, Wuhan, and virus, you know, it pops up immediately that there's a Wuhan Institute of Virology. Now, this is really, really important. What is a Wuhan Institute of Virology? Well, it's a biosafety hazard lab level four. Labs are distinguished as level one, two, three, and four based upon how contagious and how deadly the microorganism is. So the lowest level is level one, level two, level three, and level four. Level two would study HIV or hepatitis. Level four, which pretty dramatic, but they're not so contagious. But level four studies organisms that are both contagious and deadly. So Ebola would be level four. SARS-2 would be level four because it had the potential to be deadly. Well, it's fascinating. It's fascinating that biosafety hazard lab level four in China was in Wuhan, supposedly you know, about four or five miles from where they said this bat the bat market, what bat, bat wet market was. What a crazy coincidence, right? Now, when was the Biosafety Hazard Lab Level 4 built? It was actually only completed in 2018. Now, China had already had other lower levels, level 3 labs, which was studying SARS, for example. There had already been safety breaches at level 3 labs. China, we forget, is actually fairly young, fairly young nation to the affluence, right? So they thought it's a point of national pride and honor to have a biosafety hazard lab level four. They built it, it was only completed in 2018. This, this safety breach where it came from was only a year and a half later. It had prior in history of having breaches in level three labs. So this is really not very surprising. So there's absolutely no question it leaked from the lab. And I agree with your earlier guest, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, it's hard to know for certain if it was on purpose or not on purpose, but that it arose from China and was released on the world was an absolute fact. And I, I, may I share one other chilling, chilling fact about that? So in addition to it arising from the lab, Wuhan is home to a fairly large international airport. And as you had mentioned, within China, there was no travel allowed in, in and out of Wuhan, but China continued to allow people to fly from Wuhan internationally. Now, there's this biosafety lab level four, very close to an international airport. I think there's about 11 million, uh, I forget the exact number, but there's, there's, a, there's a fair amount of, of traffic at that airport, but it's not one of the world's largest airports. Now, China only has one level four lab. America has 13, Russia has one, South Korea has one, I think Taiwan, uh, I'm sorry, South Korea has one, America has one, uh, 
Russia's one, and America's 13. So this is China's first. Now, China has plans for five. Up next is Beijing, home of the second largest international airport in the world. So there will be a BSL-4 very close to Beijing International Airport. This was just a prelude. A dress rehearsal, a proof of concept, and, and again, the point is that in addition to inflicting upon us the disease itself, they also brought us this pandemic response. Yes. And, and you might just say a, a, a bit about that if Thank you would, you. Simone. Yes. So, you know, I, I was a board-certified emergency doctor for more than 20 years. I decided not to be boarded anymore because it's a corrupt system. But I have a lot of experience in this. Everything we did violated Public Health 101, the way doctors learned it, everything. This six-foot social distancing was completely fabricated. There was absolutely no scientific basis for it. Um, tiny inspiratory respiratory viruses cannot be stopped by masks. We have 50 years of data on, for example, influenza. The influenza virus is almost exact same size and shape as the SARS-2 virus. We absolutely knew it didn't work. So we never quarantine healthy people. That's never worked. So, you know, quarantining healthy people, six-foot social distancing, wearing masks to stop a tiny respiratory, inspiratory respiratory virus. We knew for sure this never worked. And yet, what did we do? What China did, we locked people down. Sustained lockdowns, yeah. Um, Simone, we're, I know we'll come back to this yes. in, in the give and take. Um, but next, we're going to talk a bit more about totalitarianism, not uniquely of the Chinese Communist Party kind, but it seems that the Chinese Communists have simply taken to a high level the techniques that others have uh, in various other ways. Evan Sayet is with us. He's a man who has. I'm just going to come up on stage real quick. Frank, um, we're frozen. The CCP has crashed our crashing party. Yes, yes, yes. So, <laughs> so we're frozen. It's going to take three to four minutes to restart and get us running again with video, or we can keep going with just audio. I look uh, better in audio. You do look better in audio, that's true. <laughs> there is that. When did it Why don't we just keep going? Just keep we'll going? just keep going and then just bring up the video. And to our friends in Beijing, let us just say we will carry on. And uh, you will be hearing more from us momentarily in the person of Evan Sayed, who has, um, alas now, a face for, bit for radio. Uh, but we've, we've been uh, blessed by his humor over many years. He is a really uh, extraordinarily successful comedian, but he has taken a very serious turn in recent years. Um, I think it's because of the times that require seriousness. He has uh, given a speech that broke all records at the Heritage Foundation a few years back um, because of the clarity with which he sounded the alarm about this phenomenon of totalitarianism. And we've pressed him into service this evening to talk a little bit more about what it means that the sorts of totalitarian impulses that have been evident elsewhere around the world for sure, but are now harnessed to the kind of technology and resources and power and ambitions of the Chinese Communist Party under Xi Jinping. 
So Evan Sayat, thank you very much for joining us. Of course. The floor is yours. The, the first thing that strikes me about what Simone was saying was not that they were wrong about everything, and I'm talking about our response, but how cruel they were to those of us who were right. That, that why would you go against hydroxychloroquine if that's what your doctor recommends? It certainly wasn't a dangerous drug. It, it's been used uh, for other protocols. So it, it, if your doctor rec or that they went with this notion that it, it wasn't the Wuhan virus making laboratory, the, the, but a bat that just happened to be down the street from the Wuhan. <laughs> that was, they were making that virus at that moment and if we said that, not only were we wrong, we were racist. And if you recall earlier from, from my talk at, at the event earlier, once you get into the other side is not just wrong, but evil. That's where the totalitarianism comes from, where often it's that they're not even just evil, they're, they're subhuman, but we're deplorable. There's nothing that we can say. Remember how they went after uh, President Trump? When, when he talked about hydroxychloroquine and, and he was killing people and it, it, it was ludicrous. And the bad story is ludicrous and so much of it is, and, and so you have to wonder then, isn't there, doesn't there have to be more when they won't even acknowledge the possibility that what is obvious might be right. So we're talking about globalism and that's, that's a difficult word because different people want a different form of globalism. As you pointed out, you know, those, those, those who want a global caliphate are not the same who want a global communist uh, world, are not the same as who want the global banking system, or they're not the same. But what they are the same is, and you pointed this out correctly, <clears throat> the first thing they all have to do, and what they have in common, and why they're allied, is they all want to create this new world, a very different world. But the first thing they all have to do is destroy the world as it is. And so that's where, and, and, and you've seen this before, Hitler hated Semites by definition, yet he allied with the Mufti of, of Jerusalem, who is a, a, who's a Semite. Uh, the, just, the, just not a Jewish Semite. No, but he's, nonetheless, it's, it's a Semite. Uh, the, the communists despised religion. Nonetheless, during the Cold War, they were the greatest funders, the greatest allies, the greatest benefactors of, of, of the Muslim world. And so even now- and the World Council of Churches too. Indeed, <laughs> indeed. And, and so now, you know, I have so many people say to me, how can the liberals be aligned with the Islamicists when the, they're not even called liberals, they should be called leftists. Marxists. Marxists, but they want a world that, that has no discrimination against gays. Well, the Islamists, but what they have in common is you first have to destroy what is and then fight it out. If you look at revolutions throughout history, the, the, the real revolution, that just, like the, the Green Revolution, that got rid of Mubarak, right? that was actually a democratic revolution. But once Mubarak was gone, you had the Islamists, the, the Muslim Brotherhood, because they were better organized and better. So these, these totalitarians all have a different idea of what the total is going to be. But the first thing they have to do, and I'm saying that for the third time, is, is defeat us. Can't be said often enough. That's what they're about. Um, let me just say that Evan Sayat is, among other things, a very uh, successful author, including most recently of The Woke Supremacy. I highly commend that to all of you. Uh, we're going to turn next. We're still talking? Okay. Well, we're going to 
come to a face that is made for television and in fact has been highly <laughs> successful at it. Um, her name is Laura Logan. She is a 14-time Emmy award-winning investigative journalist, has graced um, such uh, platforms. After the break, we're going to come to I'm getting a call from the sidelines. Uh, we're going to come back to Laura Logan, and I'll probably wind up reintroducing her after a very short break. We'll be right back. I don't know why we're doing that. But I think they might, they might be addition so they can get it. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, that would be good. Yeah, I, I wonder if it really was a CCP that crashes. I mean, you know, it could be. I don't, I don't know if we're on mic now or not. We're up and going? Yes. All right. Well, welcome back. We're delighted to have you with us. I hope you are still with us, in fact, despite uh, evidently um, a little crashing of our party by the Chinese communists or somebody else, perhaps. Anyway, we are very pleased that we're back in time for us to showcase our next presenter. Her name is Laura Logan. She is a highly acclaimed and accomplished investigative journalist, a woman of unbelievably impressive experience and passion, especially with respect to freedom. And an enemy, I think, of uh, a very high order of those who would destroy freedom, not just ours, but that of others around the world, women and children and others who have been innocence, but nonetheless deeply, deeply traumatized by enemies of freedom like the Chinese communists and their friends. Uh, Laura, we're delighted you were here for part of the program today and um, for this part of the program especially. We're always interested in your thoughts on things. We've got about five minutes to set the stage for further conversation. So share with us your thinking about the Communist Party of China and the threat that it poses to freedom and why we should be opposing it ferociously. So to me, what I think is the most important part of this conversation that hasn't um, actually been discussed yet is how this was able, this happened. How, how was Xi Jinping able to be in this position? And the blame for that lies very firmly and squarely on the shoulders of the United States of America um, and America's leaders because uh, the origins of this are not hard to, to see. We have known that Xi Jinping has been establishing a surveillance state across China for years now. He didn't make any secret of it. I, uh, I moderated a conversation with a China specialist years ago, where um, at that point, they already had more than 200,000 facial recognition cameras. Xi Jinping made it very clear that his, uh, Xi Jinping made it very clear that his goal was to have uh, half a million in the next couple of years. That's in addition to the voice recognition that they have on every street in China. If you talked to anyone who did business in China, they would tell you that the Communist Party of China mandated that they have their people inside your business. And, uh, and what did that mean? That was so that the Chinese Communist Party could take your patents, could take your systems, could take everything that America was doing and make it their own, steal it, right? And we knew that. And what happened was you had this, we were all sold this big thing about globalization. It's going to make all our lives better, right? It's like cigarettes. 
Literally, globalization is no different to cigarettes. It's been a cancer. That's smoking. That's killing us. Yes. I mean, has anyone been to towns and cities across the Midwest? I was married to, uh, my first husband was from the Midwest. I spent eight summers in a trailer park in Clinton, Iowa, right, with his family. I've got news for you. It's not just a bunch of people with no teeth doing drugs in trailer parks when a tornado's passed through. There is a huge part of middle America that lives in trailer parks. These are beautiful homes that are well looked after, and this is, this is part of the middle class. And you know what happened to many of those manufacturing towns? They're ghost towns, right? They were bled dry, and nobody cared. Nobody said a word. I went to Lake Okoboji, which you know, is a beautiful place in Iowa. And uh, my former, um, uh, my husband's uh, grandmother, we sold her, they sold her house that had like nine bedrooms for less than $10,000, right? So nobody cared that we were impoverishing the manufacturing capability of this country. And nobody talked about the, what that was doing to the national security of this country. And when COVID hit, I mean, my goodness, we all discovered that without China, we've got no antibiotics. What have we done to change that? Nothing. We've done absolutely nothing. What have we done to hold Xi Jinping accountable for what he's done to the Uyghurs? You had a very eloquent speaker talking about what's happening to the Christians. You had Didi talking about that. You had talking about what's happening to the Uyghurs. What have we done to hold China accountable? What sanctions has China faced for that? You know, Dr. Simone Gould, who's done so much in the fight um, on COVID, what did we do to China for what they did to the rest of the world? Nothing. The answer is we've done absolutely nothing to rein in the Chinese. We've done nothing to, to hold anyone accountable for what happened with COVID. Please, you're talking about WHO. They're the people who we have now put in charge of the next pandemic response. And what did WHO do to sanction China? Absolutely nothing. In fact, they worked hand in hand to lie to the world and ensure the death of millions of people across the world. Never mind what just happened in America. And never mind where are the vaccines made? Are they vaccines? Is that what we call them? Those experimental drug treatments? Where are they made? They're made in where? Oh yeah, that's right, China. And who was responsible for allowing China to grow to become the second largest economy in the world? The United States. Who was the person that invited China back into the World Trade, invited China to the World Trade Organization? The WTO. Oh yeah, that happened during Obama. Does anybody remember that? Clinton. Clinton. That's right. So that happened during Clinton. What did we, why did we do that? We knew that China was one of the biggest human rights abusers in the world at the time. We knew that then. So, you know, everybody is focused so much on China's power. But what people are not talking about is that when you have dictatorships, these are not, these are not policies and governments that are built on strong foundations. They're built on weak foundations. They're built on tyranny and fear, right? When you have to use fear as a tool of governing, that's because you don't have the truth on your side. Yes. When you have to subject your people to what you're doing to them in order to keep them uh, downtrodden so that they don't rise up and exercise the freedoms and the rights that people everywhere across the world, regardless of where they come from, want, right? When you have to do that, it's a sign of weakness, actually in many ways. Sure, it's a sign of you're taking and dominating and you're having strength, but it's a sign of innate weakness. Xi Jinping was expected to do this, well, the CCP was expected to make moves like this, you know, somewhat 25 years from now, according to US intelligence analysts, right? But he's doing it now. Why? 
because he has to before he runs out of time. Look at what they did in China during COVID, how they went to people's apartments, how they dragged people out, vaccinated them against their wills, beat them senselessly, took their pets. I mean, those bags and bags and bags. There were videos of this, of people's dogs and cats. You think the Chinese didn't care about that? These were their pets. You came into their homes and took their animals. You separated them from their children. You put them in concentration camps. You froze their bank accounts and stole their life savings. I mean, do you think that nobody in China cares about this? No, that is not true. In fact, one of the former editors of a paper in China, what did he say today? He, made, uh, he had a quote where he talked about this. He said, they're sowing the seeds of chaos. What have they done in China with this announcement? They've blocked conversation about it on social media. There are memes, there they depict Xi Jinping as Winnie the Pooh in China. They've had to ban these memes, right, and suppress this. So we shouldn't just focus. I think what's really important to understand, if you want to know how this is going to affect the United States, you need to ask why America's leaders have done absolutely nothing to stop China and everything they possibly could to empower Xi Jinping and the Communist Party. That's the key question. And let us not even get started on Hunter Biden and Joe Biden and the, and the laptop from no, hell. We will come back to... Uh, you bet we'll come back short. to that. <laughs> Before we do, we're going to turn to, again, our hostess, uh, this program uh, in Dallas today, Debbie Georgiatis. Uh, she is uh, a former practicing attorney who has turned her considerable talents to educating us all about the challenges we're facing at the moment and what we're going to need to do as a people to assure the survival of our America that we love, especially in the face of the threat from the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, Debbie Georgiatis, it's great to have you once again with us. And uh, I'd be very interested in particular as someone who, through your television podcast program, America Can We Talk, is actually talking to and hearing from the American people to get a sense of how are they perceiving what Xi Jinping is up to and the sentiment towards doing something other than, as Lara says, propping it up. Absolutely. You know, I think this is actually, this whole episode in China is a great learning opportunity. It's an opportunity for conservative leaders, uh, I don't even want to say party names, just conservative leaders, America lovers, to point out this is the direction the left is headed in this country. What we're watching happen in China could happen here. Slowly we allow the growth of tyrannical power, the growth of a powerful government. So I think it's an opportunity for people to speak up and to say, you know, in America, we've started to surrender freedom of speech. We've kind of agreed the government can tell you you can't talk about the source of COVID. You can't talk about election fraud and other issues you're not permitted to talk about. So the, the growing suppression of freedom in America. Um, there has been a, a very subtle uh, willingness to accept it on the part of many people, millennials especially, but many people, just not to be alar alarmed or not to feel as any terrible consequence could befall America. So to watch what China is happening in China, this cementing of power of an actual tyrant, it's just a great opportunity for what well, you're doing, Frank Gaffney, and your uh, present danger China and other spokespeople to point out this is you know, this is life in the world today. This is a country with a billion plus people who have no freedom and they're watching the power be cemented in a man who is not elected, that people have no choice but to remove him. They, they, they can't do a thing about it. It is a great opportunity for 
proponents of America, America's system of governance, the democratic republic, the, the whole concept of a free country, and we the people are the sovereign, it's a great opportunity, and I hope that we don't waste it, because I think that, you know, we are just, we have many people, a whole generation, just pretty comfortable in America thinking, well, nothing really big will change in America. We might have a little change here, a little loss of freedom, but nothing really big will happen. But if you can start to paint the picture for the American people, nothing prevents this from happening in America, this kind of loss of freedom, except complacency, uh, submissiveness, and just really the failure to connect dots and recognize the danger to America. I, I just think it's a great, great opportunity uh, for Americans to for all of us to remind our fellow American citizens what a precious country we have and how the freedoms we have, they didn't, they are God-given in the sense that the Declaration recites, but you can lose them. And then when you lose them, how do you ever get them back? Because it's very hard to see a path forward, for example, in China, how the people there will ever have a sense of freedom, a sense of private property ownership, a sense of direction of their healthcare freedom, a sense of freedom of speech, all of that it seems impossible to ever envision getting back. You like to paint that picture for the American people to say not even to begin the incremental rolling over the cliff uh, to loss of freedoms here. So I, I feel deeply saddened for the people of China. I, it is not right that anyone lives the way they do. And Americans ought to be speaking up more to, to Laura Logan's point a moment ago. You know, we should have more vociferous defense of America at this time, of America's ideas, including the steps we could have taken to speak up during the, uh, as soon as the COVID pandemic came along, we didn't, as you, as Laura pointed, we didn't punish China. We, you know, said really mean things about them on news or something, but nothing of consequence occurred in punishing them. And so we really sent the message, we don't value America enough and our freedom enough to stand up for ourselves. And this has been the lament of conservatives in this country. It's how the Tea Party got started, really, and many other conservative movements. We want to see people stand up for the idea of America. This is a great opportunity for people, leaders in, con in Congress and, and political leaders of all kinds, national figures, to stand up for this country. It's a learning opportunity, we ought to grab it. This is such an important point. And I, I, Laura, I want to come back to you. You're what I think of as a foreign-born American patriot. And, and a citizen now. Well, a citizen now, but, but a patriot before you were a citizen because you know how precious freedom is and how vital it is that it be preserved in this country and how easily it can be lost. And, and sort of coming back to what Simone was saying about the use of these techniques in the pandemic response of the China model to begin inexorably, as you were saying, Debbie, chipping away at our freedoms, our freedom of assembly, freedom of speech, freedom, you know, uh, to express our views to our elected officials and, and all the rest. And talk about that, if you would, um, mm -hmm. and tie in the extent to which, as Sam Fattis was describing earlier, you know, our elected officials' elite capture is contributing to the kind of uh, support for the bad guys and indifference to the chipping away. It so should be all, all of our minds. I think that um, it's not really a chipping away, if you look at it quite honestly. It's catastrophic. 
you know, when you, you're talking about the kind of, uh, I mean, when you talk about censorship in the United States of America, I mean, you're, you're trying to obliterate the First Amendment. That's not small. When you talk about surveillance technology and what our phones and everything else, all the data that they're collecting on us, you're obliterating the Fourth Amendment, right? I mean, literally, the Constitution is being ripped to shreds, and, and uh, they're, they're walking all over it, and we're not fighting to pick it up. This is not chipping away. These are catastrophic urgent, like literally existential threats right before our eyes, right? On our watch. And something that's really important not to miss here is what we know, the U.S. intelligence and the Biden administration, they've known that this declaration from Xi Jinping was coming for a long time, right? By the time we hear about it, they've already discussed it. They've had plenty of opportunity to figure out what to do about it. And they chose, literally which, chose. Which declaration? That, that, that he, when Xi Jinping was going to declare himself, they know that. Coming you know, out of Yes, yeah. exactly. And for example, every single lab that they build in China, U.S. intelligence is watching that from the moment the first brick is laid. They know exactly what they're doing there. They, they knew when COVID hit, they knew that this was an attack by a foreign power on U.S. soil. They absolutely knew it. And the real question is, why didn't they do anything about it? And what I have learned well, from- Well, why didn't they even acknowledge it? Why it, didn't this, they acknowledge this it? This book was written because, because the official line was, they just couldn't tell whether it was natural occurring And that was a lie, because, a and this is, what I, this is what I understand, this is my, what I have learned from intelligence professionals, they didn't because they were working with the enemy within. Yes. That's why. And that's what we're not talking about. This isn't happening because Xi Jinping is some master Mao Zedong and now he's going to reinstate the cult of Mao. This is happening because the United States of America's leaders are allowing it to happen, which means they want it to happen. They have the ability to affect the outcome. They're choosing not to affect the outcome. Therefore, we can conclude that they have the outcome they want. And so why is it the outcome they want? Well, I mean, you know, when you find out that you've leveraged your national security to a foreign power because they have all your manufacturing capability, everything from your medicines to your construction tools to your defense capabilities, you know, a lot of the time to your cyber technology. I mean, my goodness, your voting machines are made in China, for goodness sake. Your phones are made in China. How do we know that they implant chips, surveillance chips, and use that technology? Because we do it to them. Why do you think when they make a secret computer and they make a normal computer, right? Go to Austin, Texas. That's where they're made. The Microsoft facility, the Dell facility, they're exactly the same. The secret one and the non-secret one. They're identical. You know why? Because they make it exactly the same way. But what do they do in the secret facility? They make sure that nobody is putting their surveillance technology in it, right? Well, when, by the way, your smart uh, controller on your electric, on your electricity, when that's made in China, what do you think they're doing? They're beaming all of your data straight to China. And by the way, talk about big tech. Let's talk about that. Because who gave the Chinese all the data that they need to persecute Christians and to torture and rape the Uyghurs? Who gave them that data? Oh yeah, thanks a lot, Google and Microsoft and Facebook and all the tech companies. I remember, what did they say? Well, you know, the Chinese, uh, you know, they're putting all these restrictions on us. So are you gonna leave? Are you gonna pull out of China? Oh, no, 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 We're just gonna give them all the data so they can torture and murder all their political enemies and all their human rights activists and so on and so on. Who, you know, you talked a little bit earlier about all the cameras that they've got, all the facial recognition software. Where'd they get that from? 
They got that from the U.S. companies manufacturing it in China under the eye of the Communist Party, who, who the globalists and in the United States, both Republicans and Democrats, they didn't care. They didn't care about any Christian. They didn't care about any human rights activist. All they cared about was getting rich. They didn't care about impoverishing the manufacturing capability of the United States. They didn't care about national security. They cared about being wealthy. And they lied to us about it because if they had said, globalization is going to make us all weaker and it's going to make us more vulnerable, we would have said no thanks, but we were lied to. Let me, let me just turn this to Evan. You have studied this phenomenon of both totalitarianism and the enemy within, mm -hmm. and, and it's been, a, as I said, a, a very prominent feature of the work of our Committee on the Present Danger of China, specifically, in addition to your general point, Laura, this specific point that Xi Jinping's unrestricted warfare against our country is being made possible to a very considerable degree by the financing that Wall Street is providing him from the investment dollars of Americans. By some estimates, 160 million of us are now having trillions of dollars transferred to the Chinese. So I'm not sure there's a precedent for this Buying U.S. farmland, buying U.S. power plants, all those things. Buying, buying, buying the houses, buying the real estate market, buying all of it. The Belt and Road Initiative. But, yeah. I mean, can, can Western civilization survive this kind of undermining by our own people? Here's, here's the only, here's the the only real enemies. hope that I have as far as that goes. This is not the first time that we've had this conversation we had this conversation about Japan, if you remember, they were an unstoppable economic juggernaut. And in reality, they were on their way into what's now a decades-long recession, uh, right? So it, it, it's very often what's presented, especially because politically, ideologically, the multiculturalists want to make non-Western societies look stronger than they actually are. Right. If you remember, just before the collapse of the Soviet Union, we were still being told that they were a uh, that they were a, a co-equal superpower, all right? The next day, they, they crumbled to non-existence. There's a 180-degree difference between tied for first for the greatest superpower in all of human history and non-existence. But, so but the reason that that yeah. happened, I would submit, is because Ronald Reagan set about cutting off the cash well, that's what's of the Chinese, so that's what's, of, excuse that, me, the Soviet Communist Party. And the same needs to be done today. Indeed. But, to but the question was, can it be done? Yes, it can be done. Yeah. One of the problems we have now that I don't think we had in the past is we do have a very strong anti-American ideology in the Democratic Party. <clears throat> the difference used to be we both loved America, but we had uh, differences in, 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 in percentage of tax rate. We had, but it wasn't this hatred for America. And there's really the sense that anybody's better than America amongst many, many people on the political left, and that includes China. Right. Simone, could I, I'll come to you in just a second, Debbie. Um, several points have been made that I think are particularly relevant to your expertise. The World Health Organization's role as a proxy for the Chinese Communist Party is exemplary of basically how they've come to dominate a lot of international organizations, including the WTO, by the way. Um, We've also heard reference made to the uh, insane dependency 
on supply chains from mm -hmm. China for medicine. Medicine, by the way, for our military as well as for our civilians. The Chinese have, in part, as a result of the lockdowns and the, I think, warfare that they're preparing to engage in, the war footing they're putting themselves on, been constricting those supply chains. Uh, by the way, we, we learned that they bought up the personal protective equipment yes. before, like yes. four months like before months anybody was told that they had the virus. So, I mean, they play these kinds of games and ruthlessly so. Talk a little bit about this from the perspective of a public health professional and what it means to, you know, literally perhaps the survival of large numbers of Americans. First of all, Tedros is a China puppet. I mean, anybody who studies the space Communist. knows that. He was actually put forward by the Chinese Communist Party. They were very embarrassed uh, about 15 years earlier that they were been blamed, I think, uh, for the initial, there was, a, there was another epidemic they were blamed for. They got very embarrassed, and they decided never to let that happen again, and they decided that the path forward was to control the WHO. So Tedros was, when he was up for, for that appointment, there were six people running. He was the only non-physician, from my recollection, it serves me. And, um, and he got put forward by China, and that's why we have him. He's 100% China's puppet, absolutely. Like, there's no, there's no distinguishing that. And been reelected to and this post. And been reelected, yes. Thanks to that. As, as we know, or many of us know, a few months ago, we very nearly really gave up our sovereignty to the WHO. So the WHO had a proposal that if there's any kind of pandemic, you know, the head of the WHO would get to kind of take charge across the world. We had people, at, so to your point, in our government saying, yes, we, you know, it, it has to be, uh, I think it was Dr. Zha, uh, he's a professor from Brown, and he's really an anti-American guy. He said, if there's any time there's going to be a pandemic, we have to definitely let, you know, the world handle it. So we right away were giving up our sovereignty. Well, on a practical level, this, this affects everything. This affected lockdowns and social distancing and all those rules. We were literally, ostensibly when it happened in 2020, ostensibly we were in charge. We were now actually saying we're not even going to be in charge. I mean, that, that's, that's so much, so much worse. So um, I really didn't know as an emergency physician that our entire supply chain of medicines was controlled by China. I have learned that in the last two and a half years. This is really- I don't think any of us knew. Except, yeah. uh, well, there was, there was that author, I forget Ro her name. Ro Rosemary Yes, yeah, yeah, she knew. She did. So I'm she embarrassed. She broke the code for everybody. <laughs> I'm embarrassed. Yeah. But there's, there's, I'm going to say something slightly positive about that. One is we have been sold a, a belief system that we need tons and tons of medicines. This is actually not true. This has been very eye-opening for me to learn over the last uh, you know, couple of years. But sometimes you need medicines, and we need to get control of our manufacturing back. Of course we do. You could absolutely strangle our nation if you cannot get any of your medicines. People need digitalis or digital penicillin, all kinds of things. This is not optional. I remember Donald Trump once said, what are we, we're not going to build things anymore? Like, it's great. That's where we've gotten. We're not building things anymore. Obviously, we have to get some control over our manufacturing process for drugs and other supplies. At the same time, we have really raised, we've had about two generations now that really believe they need a lot of prescription medicines just to get through the day, and it's really not true. And I'm not really trying to plug what we're doing, but goldcare.com is really the way forward so you can get unbiased advice. It's unfiltered and find out if you really need. One of the things we do is work full time with a pharmacist who helps you de-prescribe. It's called de-prescribing. Because wow. all the times in the ER, I'd have people come in and they'd be on six meds, seven meds, eight meds. Is this absolutely necessary? Well, let's get a straightforward answer from a person. So yes, we have to get the supply chain because sometimes you need medicines. Simultaneously, we're all really the pharmaceutical companies are essentially <laughs> drug cartels. Big time. 
Yeah. And with the government's with enabling. the government's funding and yeah. enabling. Debbie, you were trying to get a word in edgewise. <laughs> Did you have something specifically you wanted to say? Well, we're probably two topics away from what I was going to say, but I really Carry did. On. <laughs> well, I just really do want to respond about the idea that the reason we don't defend ourselves, America doesn't defend ourselves, we have too many in positions of power who don't believe in America. They really have slowly gone over to friendliness towards socialism, and there's a real attraction. I, I agree with Laura Logan's point about, you know, there's a desire for money and power, and so once you get into positions, as long as your position seems secure, you will surrender things that should otherwise protect America. But there has been over, I mean, the term long march of the institutions, there's been a whittling away over decades uh, of the idea of America, the belief in the idea of America being a right and noble idea. But I do think not just this most recent, uh, this occurring in, in China with Xi Jinping, but the radical nature of the Biden administration's decisions, I think there's a great reawakening happening in America that people are recognizing they pretty much wanted to live thinking government's gonna nothing too radical is gonna happen nothing bad is gonna happen and they're watching the example in Texas so easy to use is the border you there is no other explanation except they want they want our country overrun they it, no other explanation oh, they, they, and so I'm sorry. You know, I, I just think people realize wow our government's not on our side I'm they're at least the Democrat Party not and, and some on our side they don't care and I think there's a reawakening and that will cause people to at least demand the government do something and with respect to pushing back against China just saying you know we're at very least going to stop our dependency on them I, I think the you know, people will rise up and say that more than they have. Just, just very quickly, I mean, there's an expression that you hear from the political left that you don't hear from our side, which is that they are citizens of the world. And if you're a citizen of the world, not a citizen of the United States, then these international organizations should have jurisdiction. Yeah. And, and yeah. that's... Yeah. And if they work for the Chinese Communist Party, so you're ceding it. it to your friends in so Beijing. Yeah. So and what we hear all the time is that there's these global problems. Climate's a global problem. It needs a global solution, which just happens to be solar panels that are manufactured where? Oh, in China. So we're enriching the Chinese again. And, and the it's batteries. the same thing. Oh, and the batteries. And it's over and over again. And why, why would you do that? Why would you leverage, I mean, basically all of your energy security, all of your national security, your medicines, your supply chains, why would you leverage that to a foreign power? Well, you, you, would, you would only do that if you were a globalist and you looked at it and said, I own the whole world and I'm going to do my manufacturing here because it's most efficient. Because they're not looking at it. In order to have a global world, you can't have nations. You can't have people who right. believe and have national pride and who are patriots. You can't have any of that. And to your point about uh, you know Japan and how we, we talk about China is so powerful, China is so powerful. Well, you know what? The Belt Road Initiative that everybody loves to talk about, I'm South African. Okay, you referenced that. People in Africa have seen through the Chinese at this point. They know they've been sold a bill of goods. They know that they came in offering cheap money and they took their airports and they took their harbors and they took control of their you know, state-run TV and so on and so on. Colonized. And they're angry about it. Yeah. They colonized it and they're angry about it. And there's rising dissent against the Belt Road Initiative all across Africa and in other parts of the world. And in order to suppress that in China and the consequences of that, they have to do what they're doing right now, which is cracking down on their citizens and trying to cement their hold on power because there's nothing substantial and honest and true that's holding it up. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you, uh, Debbie, maybe on this question. Um, Ronald Reagan, we spoke of him cutting off the cash flow of the Soviet Union, yes. which catalyzed the fall. 
He also did one other thing that is really vitally important, and I think it, it's sort of implied in everything that's been said here tonight. He delegitimated the evil empire. Yes. He went right at it, and it had a devastating effect on the leadership of the country, and I think on the people as well. Shouldn't that be part of what we do in response to Xi Jinping and what he has in mind for our country? Shouldn't we be going, just as you say, Laura, to over his head to the Chinese people with whom we have no problem, I think, basically, right. and making clear that he is their enemy as well as ours? Absolutely. It, would, it was one of the brilliant things that Ronald Reagan did, and I know he was, had some people around him advising him, shouldn't really talk that way, you should calm down, try to go one of those people who, None you know, it, Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall all ideas. Yeah, yeah. And, and he just said, no, I'm going to call evil, evil. I think there would be tremendous power if people in America would speak up about the evil of communism, the evil of socialism, the evil of CCP, that we believe in your rights, speak over the government and to the people and to our own people. It would really, really engage Americans to say, yeah, this is not the way we should, that people should be treated. And I think calling them evil would be, and, and not name calling, but really specifically talking about when you tell people they don't have the right to control their health care, when you tell people X, Y, and Z, this is wrong, mankind deserves better, we would really emerge globally as a, a strong force against the evil of communism. I would love to hear people do that. Let, let, let me just say, as I said at the outset, uh, we have something we call the CCP Challenge at ccpatwar.com. And part and parcel of it is specific things that politicians, both incumbents and contenders, should be asked, do you agree with these? Do you commit to advancing them? And one of them is to recognize the Chinese Communist Party as our enemy that it is a transnational criminal organization, that it is not legitimate, that it is horrifically oppressing the people of China, even as it threatens us, and we will seek its defeat. We should be saying that right now, especially in the context of this party Congress. Absolutely. Rain on their parade. Absolutely true. And academia in this country has for decades not wanted to allow people the, the notion of saying that and claiming that America's ideas and founding notions of freedom are unique and extraordinary and great. So are supposed to treat everything as though it's the same. Yeah, and it would be fabulous to have the candidates, elected officials, sign on to this, a very open, flat-out denouncement of what they're doing is wrong right. and the ideas of America are better. And not just candidates, elected officials, but leaders of all kinds. Yeah. You can do it again at ccp.org.com. Laura, uh, one of the things that sort of flows from what you've said and several others have described is there is an opportunity here, even as Xi is trying to tighten his grip on power, yes. that the wheels are coming off this train in any number of respects. Uh, you know, 40 million men for whom there are no women is a huge <laughs> demographic problem. That's right. The aging of the population. Yep. Uh, we were told earlier today that, you know, they're, they're going to have 30 three million or so more people in China in 20 years or whatever it was than we have, which is a huge decline in their population. And the bubbles in the real estate market and banking and so on. Shouldn't we be taking advantage of those? Shouldn't we be driving to undermine Xi Jinping? If your goal was to protect and strengthen America, 
then you would do exactly what you're talking about. Right. And here's a couple of easy things that you can do. So for example, we know that the entire network of Chinese students in American universities across this country are spies for the communist mm -hmm. CCP. They, they don't have a they choice. Have they don't have a choice, right? So you and can- that, And now we can, have Chinese police here to enforce That's correct. That. You can expel all of them immediately, right? Why do you need, why are you allowing China to set up a network of spies that has gone from the colleges and infiltrated all across industry and academia and everywhere else, number one. Number two, you can tell all your colleges to take a hike, okay? Because they've been existing on Chinese money for a very long time. And it affects the Chinese studies, it affects what they teach at those universities, it affects all of that. So they've allowed these colleges to become indoctrination centers for the CCP. That has to stop. Here's a third thing that you can do. Chinese hackers sent by the CCP, where do you think they come across the border? They come across the border in southern Texas. And we know it. I, you go down on Border Patrol, I've spent a lot of time down on the border. They even identify for you, this is where most of the Chinese hackers come across. Why are you doing nothing and saying nothing about that? The Chinese are flooding their spies across the southern border. That's three things that any elected official can demand right now. And I want to say something else. You talk about at war, and you mentioned earlier unrestricted warfare. This book was written by two Chinese colonels in 1999. They updated it just a couple of years ago. The Chinese are very, very familiar with a particular form of unrestricted warfare, which is non-kinetic war, right? So where they're looking for other means of warfare, non-conventional warfare. What is one of the most powerful things that they have done to the United States in this war? They have done drug warfare. Mm -hmm. Because going back to the opium wars Chemical with the British, they, they know how powerful drug warfare can be. So what did they do in 2011, 2012? One of the consequences of allowing our manufacturing capability of medicines and pharmaceuticals to go to China was that they identified fentanyl as an incredibly powerful tool. They then introduced it as a street drug. Right? They introduced that in 2011, 2012, because it's so powerful, they were able to send it via mail. And then, once it had taken root on the streets, never ever been seen before as a street drug anywhere in the world, maybe occasionally carried it, DEA didn't even know what it was when they first encountered it. And once they had ensured that it had cemented itself across the United States, they then farmed it out to the Mexican cartels because the Chinese triads have been in the tripartite area, have been living in Mexico and all across Latin America for decades and they have married into the cartels and they have long-standing relationships. And they taught the Mexican cartels how to make fentanyl, the most deadly street drug in the history of the world. The United States has never seen anything like it. If you wanna know, how they're killing people. It is not drug addicts down, crack addicts on the streets of Baltimore. It is 12, 11, 12, 13, 14 year old kids in America who are dying right now where we are. There's a kid dying of a fentanyl overdose in the United States of America. Now, I want to give you just one statistic. In, we're, 2000, we're in 2016 or 15 or 16, there were 61,000 overdose deaths in America. It cost this country over $500 billion and lost revenue and so on and so on. The Chinese know this. Do you know how many overdose deaths there were last year? 
over 107,000. Imagine how much that's counted, costing the economy. People who are addicted to drugs, they don't join the military, they don't pay taxes, they don't hold down a job. The Chinese know this. They have done this. They are directly responsible for the death of hundreds of thousands of Americans who are dying from the drugs that they have supplied the, the precursors, the counterfeits. They're not buying Xanax at school. They're buying fake pills made by China hand in hand with the most powerful and violent criminal cartels in the world. Right. And they've promised repeatedly to stop doing that and they have not done it in, to the contrary. They they're are, ramping they're up. continuing and ramping up. This time has flown by for me and I suspect for our panelists. Um, I want to thank them as well as the people who've made this program possible, particularly Real America's Voice for disseminating it through its uh, app. And I encourage people to sign up for it once again. Uh, I want to just say that um, in closing, I think we've made the case powerfully and I hope persuasively that the Chinese Communist Party is at war with America has been for decades, unrestricted warfare, yes. Biological warfare, yes. And now it seems, especially if Xi Jinping is able to secure this dictatorship for life, moving inexorably into the old fashioned, what they call kinetic phase of warfare. It will be in no small measure on us if that happens. Not only because we are failing to deter it properly, but also because we've done so much to enable it over so long. That enemy within problem must be addressed as part of an overhaul of our policy towards communist China. An enormous amount of information about how that can be done and by whom is available at presentdangerchina.org. I especially commend to you our webinar series. You can subscribe to it at that website, and I certainly hope you will. I want to thank Gordon Chang, Reggie Littlejohn, <coughs> Sam Faddis, Didi Logason, Simon Gold, Evan Sayet, Larry Logan, and not least, Debbie George Addis for joining us, as well as for you doing so. I'm going to ask Reggie Littlejohn to come up and say something that will address the underlying problem we face at the moment, and that is that we are in a spiritual war. Come and sit here, Reggie. 45 seconds and count. I think that you've heard that we are in an existential threat because the Chinese Communist Party wants to see us, the demise of the United States, and the people who are supposed to be standing up for us are not doing so. This ultimately is a spiritual battle. It's gone beyond right and wrong to good and evil. And the Chinese Communist Party is officially atheistic. Those of us who believe in God need to fast and pray and seek his ways. And that is the only way we're going to be able to turn this around. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Thank you all. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. Talk. Truth about America. Can